if someone asks where you live in Michigan, you always show them the hand, which looks like the state, so oh. otherwise known as the Mitten State. Okay, I got that. that's what I said. Couldn't you guys hear me? No, we just heard you buzzing. <laughs> it oh. sounded like you. It sounded like you laid a string of curse words, and the FCC just picked <laughs> them out for us. Welcome to episode 29 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a pint or other beverage. Tonight's episode, as usual, is brought to you by our official sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. Craft Beer Cellar is a craft beer bottle shop whose primary function has always been the best beer that they can get their hands on. They search for beers made in the breweries just down the street or on the other side of the world that are well-crafted and good examples of what excellent beer should be. Visit craftbeercellar.com for a location near you. So, <laughs> you can win beer from Craft Beer Cellar by joining our conversation. Follow us on Twitter at PubTheology. Use the hashtag PTLive with your comments or just comment on the Pub Theology Facebook page. And every time you comment at the end of the month, we will, we will pick the best comments and this is purely subjective on our part and we will give you uh one of these buttes right here a craft beer seller gift card and we have some winners from september uh to announce um if you remember we started a little late in august so we decided just to wait till september was done and and pick two winners um please to announce our two winners tonight are dave dehan and michael miller first of all buzz Thank you for uh, listening to the show. Um, Dave DeHaan's winning comment, which was when we were talking about uh, using wind as a metaphor for God, he said, is passing wind a good an- analogy for a sermon? Uh, well played. <laughs> well done. Love that. And Ogan and I thought that was hysterical. We totally out- outvoted Brian because Brian picked out a, a witty one and yeah. Well, Brian's Brian's wit was a little more uh, straightforward and and topical. We we Tina and I just went. We just went body humor. <laughs> went the body the wind. Um, and uh, Michael Michael Miller, also our other winner, he said, uh, "God is everything, nothing, and the in between. We are one with God in life itself. So we are the ones that quote hide God, all part of our spiritual game." Um, and apparently, Michael got bonus points for uh, sticking up for Tina. When he said at some point, fantastic show, everyone. Oh, Ogan, get off Tina's back. Technical technical difficulties happen. Thank you, Michael. That's why I voted for you. Technical technical difficulties do happen, but when they pretty much always happen with just one person, at some point we <laughs> Don't have... Don't do that. This all started in at, September. At some point, we have to ask if operator error is involved. I'm just putting that there. Putting that up there. Ooh. All right. Yikes. So anyways, um, <laughs> so now you know how you can get involved. The, the gift cards are real, and eventually I will get around to mailing them to you. Don't hold your breath, but I will, I will try to get them to you with, within the week. Um, so you can watch us live on, on YouTube on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. If you're listening to the audio podcast, that's, that's where you can find us. Or go to pubtheology.com, click on the uh, Pub Theology Live tab. Or you can listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, 
iTunes. Did we get the Google Play thing up? Working on that. Working on that. Um, and I don't think we can announce it yet, but but there's another. Uh, there might be another video uh, option in the works. Ooh. In the works. Stay, stay tuned. Stay, stay tuned. Stay tuned. We're working on stuff. If you happen to know um, sponsor that might be a good fit for us, please let us know. And by the time we get around to that, we will do a better job. <laughs> well, tonight we discuss how to find sanity during an election season like this one, if it's even possible. We ponder what role can churches and communities of faith play in, you know, elevating the level of discussion. We also discuss whether we are more worried or more optimistic about the future, and we'll get into perhaps the Buddhist notion of non-action. So lots coming your way tonight. My name is Brian Burkoff. I am a uh, pastor and author of the book Pub Theology. I am uh, here on the west side of the Mitten State, uh, and tonight I am drinking a Bruegel Bach beer. I'm sorry, did you say the mitten state? The, you know, like the hand. What does that even mean? Like, because it's cold, you wear mittens? No. Whoa, thanks, Tina. Someone didn't like that comment. <laughs> it, the mitten state, because, you know, if someone asks where you live in Michigan, you always show them the hand, which looks like the state. So, oh. Otherwise known as the mitten state. Okay. That's that. what I said. Couldn't you guys hear me? No, we just heard you buzzing. <laughs> it oh. sounded like you. It sounded like you laid a string of curse words, and the FCC just <laughs> bleeped them out for us. Still, still want to, still want to stick up for her, Michael? Huh? Still want to stick up for her? We are also joined tonight by Ogan Holder and Tina Simmons. Welcome, Ogan. Uh, thank you very much. I am Reverend Ogan Holder, author of the best-selling book *Rants to Revelations*. I call it best-selling book because I like to affirm things that haven't happened yet. Um, <laughs> I'm drinking uh, Simpler Times Pilsner out of the out of the can. Going with the can tonight because um, it's a simpler time to drink out of a can. Simpler times. Did you get that at Trader Joe's? And it was the last beer left in my fridge. Yes, it was. <laughs> so I gotta gotta go beer shopping. <laughs> Kaboom! And welcome, Tina. Hello. Um, I am drinking. I'm back to my wine. I know sometimes I drink beer, but I'm back to the woodwork. It's my favorite. Drinking yeah. it. An amazing label, I might say. What? An amazing label on that one. Thank you. Wasn't it? Isn't it clever? Yeah. The, the level of design is off the charts. We'll just we'll just. Say I didn't that. design it. I just made it reprintable. <laughs> hey, I'm trying here. I'm trying. I know. Thanks. So I don't. You know, we don't really have a warm up topic tonight. Do, do we need a warm up or do we just dive right in? Yeah, Let's just dive right in. Dive right in. Okay. We wasted enough time. <laughs> Wow. All right. So candidates, shake hands, please. Uh, so our first question is, how do you find calm and sanity in the midst of an election season like this one? The answer is simple. Every time there's a debate, you play the drinking game. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, here's, um, um, and this one, I mean, there's a lot of them out there, but this one comes from one of my uh, actual uh Favorite tech blogs, BGR, uh, the Boy Genius Report. Um, so here's 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 the drinking game. Of course, better done with friends, but there's nothing that says you by yourself, kind of like a drinking game solitaire. So 
um, here, here's what you do. So you take a drink, um, and this 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 was a fresh uh, list, um, especially after the week we had with the you know that that horrific tape that came out uh, with with Trump. Right. Um, this the, these were some new entries. So you take a drink if Trump offers Clinton a tic tac. <laughs> take a drink if he references Rosie O'Donnell. If he invents a new word. Oh. If he brings up Bill Clinton's sordid past with women, if he interrupts Hillary more than three times, if he changes the subject to talk about ISIS, you'll which, be passed out by the time you're the, right. First, man, have some first, beverages on hand. First ten minutes of the debate, you're you're flat on the floor. Uh, yeah. If he says, "I never said that," if he actually said what he claims he didn't, um, and if his rebuttal is him shouting wrong, all right. <laughs> Do you have a list for Hillary, too? Of course. You take a drink if if Clinton does a little shoulder shimmy. Now she likes to do her little shoulder shimmy. If she makes reference to uh, Trump's tax returns. If she wears that canary yellow suit again. Um, if she mm. tells a moderator, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked that. If she brings up one of Trump's failed businesses. If she references a family she met on the campaign trail. If she professes her love for Anderson Cooper, who, by the way, that Joy says we were watching the campaign and Joy says, how old is Anderson Cooper? And I said, he is ageless. Mm. Good answer. Mm -hmm. He's like son of the white witch from Narnia. (laughs) (laughs) But he is a beautiful man. I'll say that. By which I mean, he seems youthful, but has white hair. Yeah. He's not aging. He looks, he looks the same. I don't know if it's the makeup. I don't know what it is. Um, and I'll, I'll end with this one for Hillary Clinton. If she shucks the world and tells Trump, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, you need to really stock up uh, at the liquor store or your local crap beer seller. Uh, you if you're going to play that game during the debate. Yes. But my, my, sanity, my sanity, interestingly enough, is connected to the, the democratic process, which, you know, the president has has a four-year term and then you know he or she may be reelected to office so so worst case scenario if trump is elected as president and it goes really off the rails like most people think it will we only got four years and then we can put someone else in office he's not going to be there indefinitely so yeah, and we have the senate and congress it's not like he's a one-man sh- well <laughs> He's a one-man show, but right, exactly. Not like it's there's not, not going to be babysitters. Exactly, we we're not living in a kingdom. We're living in a democracy, and there's three branches of government. Four, if you count the you know Supreme Court. So it's not like he has autonomous rule to make any decision. You know, he wants to wait. He wants to make and 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 that's it. I mean, all right. So, so yeah. So 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 I think so I think you're saying um, take a step back, look at the big picture, take a deep breath. Yes. There's a lot of fear in the air this election cycle on both sides. If there are two sides, there are probably more than two sides. But, you know, it's, I see friends on left and right posting so much fear. Um, so there's well, a lot of fear. Way, so all, all those reasons apply to Hillary as well. <laughs> like everything I just said, if you're on the opposite side of the fence, applies to Hillary as well. If you think she's going to be a disaster and be the worst president we've ever had, you know, it'll be only for four years. We survived eight years of W. We'll be okay. (laughs) There's hope. There's hope. So 
your point is uh, there are only four more years until we go through all this again. So on the one side, there's hope. And on the other side, the despair of, do we really have to do this to ourselves again? Yeah, but, but like it's getting right. bad. But I don't, but here's the thing. I think regardless of who wins this election four years from now, I don't think we're want, we're going to want to go through having to nominate someone like Donald Trump. Like, <laughs> I think he's learned our lesson. It's a special you, case. Really, Ogan, you really think we learned our lesson? Because I think people really buy into this reality show that's going on. I don't know. I, I think I think there's a lot of regret on the side of the GOP. And if they could do their whole primary season over, mm-hmm. I'm, guess, I'm guessing they would in a heartbeat. When you have people asking the vice presidential candidate to to you know let's ditch trump and you be your nominee like, yeah. like if that's out there i don't think they're gonna want to do this again i seriously think we've been like okay we we've been there we've done that we tried that but but then again you're right tina because it's not who who decides who is the nominee the people um you know and for as much as i don't appreciate steve jobs approach to things bless his heart rest in peace he might be right sometimes. People can't be trusted. We have to tell them. As a mass. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't really believe that. I, I don't believe that. So there's a lot of fear, and your um, recommendation was to look at the bigger picture, take a deep breath. That's something I think uh, that would be a healthy thing. Uh, and the drinking game. Don't forget the, the drinking game. game. If, you, <laughs> if you're going to watch the debates, the drinking game is maybe a good way to go. Uh, the other night... Uh, my wife and I just got home from something and said, oh, the debate's on. Should we watch it? Nope. <laughs> and so we decided not to watch the debate. And I think uh, I feel healthier for not watching it. And I saw stuff on uh, social media, people saying, it's only been 11 minutes and my blood is boiling. And I thought, boy, glad I'm not feeling that right now. But you uh, missed so- Ken Bone. You missed, you missed the best part of the debate. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I... I I don't really feel like I missed anything. And then to further feel better about it was watching a bad lip reading today of the first debate. And that's worth it right there. Yes. Yes. By the way, we need a bad lip reading of Pup Theology Live. Oh, my God. That would be awesome. That would be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That would be good. That would be good. So what else? Um, How else can we find? uh, How are you keeping your sanity? Yeah. How can we find sanity? Um, okay. For those who are new to the show, let's keep in mind that Ogan and Brian are ministers and I'm the resident heathen. Um, (laughs) I don't watch the debates. I, I catch clips of things here and there on the internet. Um, but yeah, it, it frustrates me that people go at each other like they do. So, um, I don't watch the debates. I think it's, it's a joke at this point. Um, however, I do get... (laughs) I do get most of my politics from South Park because they, their parodies of what's going on are so dead on and hysterical. Oh, my goodness. Well, and I think that's a great point. I think, com- honestly, I think comedy, yeah. I mean, I think comedy helps us sort of relieve some of the tension. So it's fun to watch Alec Baldwin do a Donald Trump on SNL. I mean, he does a great job uh, impersonating Trump. And, of course, uh, Kate McKinnon is... Yeah. Does a pretty decent Hillary as well, and so it's fun to watch stuff like that or watch a bad lip reading of the debate. Uh, but the sad part is the actual, actual debate, like the real stuff happening, feels like a parody. It does. <laughs> well, it that's does. not a good sign. That's never a good sign. Yeah. Well, but, you know what? Go ahead. 
Um, like my friend Bill always had the conspiracy theory that um, that Trump and Hillary, and I think I told, mentioned this before, Trump and Hillary were friends before, they're still friends, and and that, you know, this is just to screw up the, the Republican vote. And um, Will and I were talking the other night when the debate was on and we weren't watching. Um, we were like, yeah, they just had dinner somewhere together, and they're like, yeah, let's go out and not shake hands and see everybody get all upset about it. So yes. you're going the conspiracy theory route. Nice. Hey, why not? <laughs> but but I think so. I you you made you made a comment earlier about this. Like at this point, this is like one big joke, and you know, in in all seriousness, it it kind of isn't. I think I think sadly, right? Sadly, these two candidates are like a reflection of the consciousness of a collect a collective consciousness. Are part of our collective consciousness that is resisting evolving. Mm-hmm. Like, I totally agree. And I think on both sides, not not just Trump, but but if you look at at, at the things um, for all the good she's done in the world, Hillary Clinton is a you know pretty much regular, straightforward politician, um, and yeah, I think I, even her supporters would admit she's a flawed candidate. You know oh, who, exactly. who who they're who they're behind for valid reasons, but yeah, right. So so in in that regards, it it kind of reflects this this portion I think of the collective consciousness that that wants things to stay the way they are, as opposed to really saying, are we are we brave enough, courageous enough, ready to make a monumental shift in how we exist. Are we are we ready to stop funding our military our military you know way more than we need to? Are we yeah. truly ready to you know take that money and put it into the education system like we see? Yeah. And I don't think either of these candidates reflect that desire. Right, I, I don't think they do. And I think the vast majority of you know I hate to admit it, but the vast majority of the population, I don't think they want either. Because <laughs> they don't I either. Yeah. I think if they really did, we, oh, right. we would get candidates who reflected that. Well, and maybe that's it, that our, intention, yeah. our intentions as a nation are so scattered that you, you're going to get a mess because we're a mess, you know? Yeah, and I, I, I mean— Scattered than what Brian said earlier, more afraid. I think, as a, mm-hmm. I think the, the underlying collective consciousness— is is more grounded in fear, especially with you know all the, the terrorism stuff going on and and fear of loss and fear of of let's not ever have a recession again. You know, all, I think the fear is really what's motivating um, folks more than anything else. Yeah, and I think I appreciate you uh, veering us from comedy as a way to uh, stay sane toward reminding us that yes indeed this is a real election and real lives are impacted by who wins this election and of course that ought to be uh, outweigh any you know personal anxiety or discomfort i have um, and so on because real people are going to be affected depending on who wins this election and so i think another way to maintain sanity is how am i working for the things i value here and now? How am I working for justice? How am I seeking um, to express love, compassion, peace, uh, assuming those are things you value? And how am I encouraging the candidate or candidates I'm supporting to support policies that reflect those things? And so a way to maintain sanity is to continue voicing um, 
truth, compassion, and justice amidst the craziness of rhetoric and debates and everything else and press for what you sense will lead us as a as communities, as a society, as a nation toward that goal of justice. And if that's advocating for one candidate or the other, then do that. But hopefully it's also alongside other right. activities. So, well, and I, I think the most important thing is no matter what happens, it's how we treat each other afterwards. You know, it's like it, it whoever wins, if we're continuing to be like, oh, all the, the problems in this country are your fault because you voted for this person – you know, we're not getting anywhere. We're not making progress. It's all, it, it all starts with how we're treating each other. Exactly. And, and realize that, that ultimately each day-to-day moment is going to be what is more important um, each day-to-day. But here, here's, a, here's the thing I can actually say that was good about Trump getting the nomination is that for the first time, a lot of people were willing to step outside of their usual box. People who normally would be just staunch, I'm going to support a Repub- Republican Party no matter what. Uh, I wondered where you were going here. I was nervous. Are willing, <laughs> are willing to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to think about this differently. That, that just, I mean, I remember there was, I was watching, you know, back to the comedy uh, uh, daily show where mm-hmm. they have a clip of this woman who says, I have always voted Republican. I'm always going to vote Republican. And if this jackass is what's pulling the train, I'm going to vote for this jackass. Like she was clear <laughs> that Trump was. Yeah. We really right. have to think about that. But a lot of people, uh, but, but again, but then there are a lot of people who are saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going, I'm not going that way this year for once. I mean, when you look at all, uh, you know, not that it really matters, but the papers who've traditionally endorsed Republicans or not, the papers. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Not endorsed any candidate or, or endorsing a candidate. Uh, the Republicans who are, who are getting off the train, you know, even, even when you look at the Democratic side, um, some folks who were staunch re, uh, supporters of Bernie Sanders who said, well, he's not uh, the nominee, so I'm not voting at all, are now saying, well, now i got to change my tune a little bit. Some haven't, but some are. So I, I think right. with the nominees, they are actually calling us up to think bigger picture, not just what I want, what might actually, given our choices, yep. be the best outcome for everyone. I think that's right. So let me ask you this. Um, what do you, I mean, knowing how, how ripped apart this election is, do you think a third party actually has a chance, knowing how, how disliked both the main candidates are? Well, I think the third party would have a chance depending on the, on the candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, love Gary Johnson, but, and I, and I, and I, like, being, I like where his heart is. It's his head I'm kind of worried about. <laughs> so, well, but he's I mean, a fun kind of crazy. <laughs> I don't want any kind of crazy running the country. That's you don't have a choice at this point, buddy. <laughs> so I, I don't. I don't think uh, third party has a real shot of winning. But I think I think we will see a higher either a higher um, non turnout, a higher amount of people just abstaining from voting in the presidential election, and I do think we will see a bump in the third party voting as a way of protest voting, dissatisfaction with the two candidates. 
But we just, as Ogan said, we don't have a third-party candidate, uh, whether it's Green, Libertarian, one of these other parties we haven't heard of, who really grabs attention and really people feel like, yeah, that person, I want to be president. I mean, there are some who feel that way about those third-party candidates, but I don't think there's enough energy to spill it over because they don't get any airtime. I mean, they're not in the debates, which is not helpful. They don't they don't have the money that's required to win an election in our current uh, election. I don't think the airtime is reality. the issue. I think I think what they're saying in the policies are the issue because honestly, when you when you look at when you look at I'll use Gary Johnson again for example, when you look at what he's saying and advocating and his policies. It kind of is a little kind of like Wild Wild West going on here cause, because oh, – that's very libertarian. Right, exactly. And, you know – No rules. No rules. And if there's anything I've learned from living next door to Maine is that rules are a good thing. You need some but, rules. But wait a second. Wait a second. What you just said, though, um, that airtime doesn't really matter. I completely disagree. It may not matter to you. It may not matter to me or Brian. But to the majority of America, they're getting their information off of Facebook and off of the debates and off of the news. So it does matter. It does matter when when you have your national debate between your presidential candidates and there's only two. And they're the two that are going to show up on the ballot chief and foremost, and the other ones are not even on most of them, all 50 states. I mean, it's just it's not a level People think they, they don't have get, no other they, choice. They don't get the interview time. They don't get talked about uh, with the talking heads on all the news networks. I mean, they're they're basically ignored, except for once in a while to say, "Oh, look, someone's polling at seven percent. Maybe we should, you know, well, ask a question." They, listen, they have been interviewed. Not not in the, sure they're not national debate, but they have been interviewed, and they haven't gone well. <laughs> Just uh, well, maybe. I mean, I. What do you mean, maybe? Come on. To ask Gary Johnson to name another world leader and he can't. No, no, I, no I'm not defending that. I'm just saying I don't oh. think the, the media coverage is is even right. close to what would what be it needed is for the to others. win. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I, I agree. And I, think, and I think part of that is, again, you know, the, the, the Citizens United, that needs to be overturned in a, in a hurry. Um, getting the money out of politics. If only we had candidates who were voicing that. Uh, really? <laughs> well, no, no, but that right wouldn't there. be self-serving there. You know what? I no, think Clinton, it's a good segue to move Clinton on. Clinton has voiced that. She has she has said that that would be something that she would advocate. Now, you know, as we've all learned from every candidate on either side of the fence, what they say when they're uh, campaigning and what happens when they get into office, mm, yeah, not always a lot of overlap there. Both sides of the fence, not picking sides for that one. Okay. No doubt. No doubt. All right. So next, what role can churches and communities of faith play in elevating the level of discussion? Drinking game. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, sorry. That was, wow. that was Okay, you're going to have an influx of people to your church this Sunday now. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> be like, what? what? No open bar? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but so, so I think what churches can remind people to do is um, – how do we apply our beliefs and spiritual practices to stop us from getting into the rage, from stop us from getting into the conflict? How do we stay centered? How do we stay grounded? How do yes. we stay hopeful? How do we how do we maintain the peace in all of this? But how do we do it without withdrawing? Because I hear a lot of That's people right. who say things like, I'm not watching the news. I'm not watching this. I'm not reading this. I'm not voting. I'm not getting involved. And I don't think 
absenting yourself from the process is helpful. We've Why not? Because because then we're not we are not helping to create what we want. But if, if I if if blah, 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 I think there's a lot of people that should abstain from voting. If if I am not really paying attention and I'm not objective and I'm sitting here thinking I'm just a Democrat or a Republican and that's all I am, I think I should abstain. If, if, you're, if you're not putting, like, mm. you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe yeah. everybody and, shouldn't vote. And I agree with you. There, there are plenty of people who, you know, I don't want to trust the vote. That's why I'm saying be educated, be involved, be informed. Don't just sit on the Democratic side or the Republican side. What what are these people saying? What are they representing? You know. But if it's yeah. not my gift to dissertain all this information, and Brian, what's the quote that we're going to talk about later on? What do you mean, not your gift? What all right, your the, gift. We live in 2016. Get online and go to their web pages and look at their hey, policy. Hey, a preview coming up, uh, coming attraction. Tiknat Han said, sometimes if we don't do anything, we help more than if we do a lot. Exactly. She's going to rest. That's her, that's her, uh, that's her, argument. That's her campaign slogan this election season. <laughs> there are moments when I want to vote for that. But I hear, I hear also, I hear what you're both saying. And I think there are, you have to sort of discern where to, where can I um, sort of put energy that's going to be good for me and good for those around me. Um, and to Ogan's point, I think, I, I think certainly as a as a minister, a person of faith, clergy person, I want to be informed and aware. And I think I think we, as you said, know what's happening, know what the issues are, and then model a way to talk about these things in a grace filled, uh, knowledgeable way. As you said, Ogan, where you stay centered, where you stay grounded, where you can entertain conversation with folks who have a different view and i've seen folks do that wonderfully uh during this election season there's been a lot of nonsense and a lot of tension but i've also seen folks uh share beautifully articulated um articles that have been written on the election season and then have calm discussions in the comments and i think that's what we need it's when things start going off the rails we start saying well but trump is blah, blah, blah. And Hillary is blah, blah, blah. And we start getting sort of personal at the people we're trying to converse with that. We, we sort of lose that groundedness. We lose that centeredness that I think we need to maintain in these conversations as passionate as we are about them. And let's not forget the role that the church has played in the evolution of consciousness and justice in the country. I mean, look at the civil rights movement. I just, I just spent last Friday in the new African-American History Museum, and there's a, there's a whole thing dedicated to the role of black churches and the role of the civil rights movement, where, where uh, how we exist as a country politically is very linked to the morality consciousness that the nation right. possesses. And, and we as ministers and clergy and the churches have a responsibility to remind people that the, the two are not the two are not inseparable. You can't you, you you can't elect someone to a higher office and not think it's not going to have an effect or or reflection of of the morality of where we are. And this is and this is why it's imp, it's important to look at I think the morality of our leaders. I mean, that's right. 
you know, let's let's yeah. let's use a very let's use a very heinous example. Anthony Weiner. Like that man is never going to hold political office again, ever. And if he does, well, it is America. <laughs> if he does, <laughs> I know. I'm like, watch what you're saying. Shame on us. <laughs> but but I hear what you're saying. So like when these uh, tapes came out uh, of the lewd talk from Trump, and it's called lock. He he brushes it off as locker room talk. Blah blah blah. But I find it heartening when clergy and people of faith say, we will not stand for misogyny. We need to call that out. Or when you are calling groups of people like uh, immigrants, you know, thieves and, and rapists and murderers, that needs to be called out on the grounds of morality, on the grounds of justice. And I'm grateful when people do do that. Um, but again, I think the challenge is how do you how do you do that and call those things out, yet hold space for people who are on multiple sides of the issues. That's where it gets difficult. But you do it gently. You, you, you do it gently and, and realize that, that not every, here, here's the thing I've realized is that I think some people think it's, it's difficult to hold multiple viewpoints at the same time that sometimes seemingly oppose each other, but, but we do it, we do it all the time. Uh, a, a good example is, you know, people who call themselves Christian but are willing to uh, nominate a candidate that says, I am, I am going to discriminate against certain ethnic groups. And if you're a Christian, how can you say I'm for that candidate when the standard bearer of Christianity, Jesus, was all about accepting everyone? So, right. so, so, so. So you got you got to draw those parallels to say if if I'm a person who is who is informed by my faith who uses my faith as the the lens through which I see the world and interact with other people then are the choices I make uh in the voting booth or the choices I make you know in what I support where I give my money are those reflecting of my faith as well regardless of where the candidate's faith is Candidates' faith, for me, doesn't nearly matter as much as if their policies and what they stand for reflects That's what right. my faith stands for. Um, and we, we sometimes conveniently forget, I guess, the original intention of openness and acceptance that uh, Christianity was founded on as modeled by Jesus. Granted, it went off the rails later, you know, <laughs> with, with yeah. the Crusades and all, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's well. another discussion. <laughs> Indeed. All right. So we do have a comment on Facebook uh, in answer to the question, how do you find calm and sanity in the midst of this election season? Mark Hembry says, easily, I turn off the TV and listen to podcasts of Pub Theology Live. Automatic winner. Absolutely. Whoa. I'm thinking. I'm thinking there's our October. He knows how to win. <laughs> Kaboom. Well played. Stroke the well egos. Played, Mark. Well played, <laughs> Mark. <laughs> I love it. Love it. All yeah, right. So... I, uh, Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to move us on to number two, but if you've got more to say, you can wrap. No, no, wrap no, no. I think, I think, I think we've kind of beat it to death. <laughs> All right. So ne next question, are you more worried or more optimistic about the future? And what do you base that on? This could be your own personal future or your family, or you could also think of uh, the United States, of the human species, of the planet Earth, of the galaxy, the universe. You can take it a smaller 
this this episode? How do you feel about how this episode is going to unfold? I, I tend to be more optimistic by the end of every episode, but I don't know if that's because of the discussion or the beer or both. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Good thing you saved it for the end. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, here, so I wondered how you got that optimism going. There you go. You know, here's here's what I think, though. Uh, I think as as much as, and I was having this discussion with friends recently, which is actually a departure from what I used to believe. Um, I think that in spite of of how people can learn learn behaviors and learn to be more compassionate, learn to be more uh, open and listening, I think things like optimism and pessimism are hardwired in us for whatever reason, and it's really hard to change. So you can be an optimistic like um, person who just makes a mess of everything and is a little bit conceited and selfish, or you can be a pessimistic person who is loving and compassionate um, because we can learn these behaviors. But I think, I think the optimism pessimism thing is kind of hard word in us. And, and I'm a hard word optimist, no matter how bleak things look or what has happened for some reason, I have this hardware within me that, you know what, it's, it's kind of going to always get better. I believe that. That's saying from, uh, what's, what's the movie, um, Last Marigold Hotel? What was that saying? Um, it's going to be okay in the end, and if it's not okay, it's not the end. Yeah. Ooh. That's, that's, that's my philosophy. There you, you know, Ogan, on that, um, I don't know if it's optimism, pessimism, but um, there is a gene in us that is, is, um, indic- it indicates how resilient we are. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think that has a lot to do with whether we're, we're optimistic or pessimistic is um, the more resilient we are, the more we're like going to charge forward no matter what happens. We're going to, you know, recreate, we're going to keep going, you know, and I, I think that gets seen as an optimist where um, if you don't have that resilience and you're kind of like, this is how it is, it kind of sucks. You get viewed as a pessimist. So I really mm-hmm. do think it is genetic. I think you're right. It is hardwired in us. I think mm. so. Because you have people who are in the most horrific of life situations. I mean, we're talking abuse. We're talking like, I mean, the worst stuff you can imagine. But they still have this view of themselves, this inner strength, resilience that says, this is not going to determine my future. Things are going to work out okay. And they go forward. But then you have people who are, you know, the opposite, kind of just like pretty good circumstances in life. But are clear the world's out to get them. Are clear <laughs> that things are not going to work out well. Are always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And right. it may be a nature nurture thing. It may. It, I think it may also depend on you know that first traumatic incident in your life that when you were three or four that formed how you viewed everything. But but still, I I, I kind of think it's it's hardwired, which is weird because here I am, a unity minister that that says you know. We, we can we can we can use our thoughts and the power of our thinking to mm-hmm. to help help shape how we see and experience the world and as a result help shape the world so so it's it's weird but well i think i think you can shift a little bit uh i mean i th- i think i'm probably a hardwired pessimist i hate to say it um, but I think I'm learning to be more optimistic and I think it's easier for me to be optimistic about big picture things and more pessimistic about little things like, Hey, how come we're out of creamer? <laughs> how, how can I drink my coffee? 
Um, and what, what was, and, 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 and locking my keys in my car, like, well, yes. How did I lock my keys in the car? How can I be such an idiot, you know, but, but, but will I live to see, you know, next summer and will it be beautiful and will we survive this election? Sure. You know, um, now, here's an interesting question. When you lock the keys in your car and for those of you who might be tuning you're in, you're so stuck on this for the first time, it was an epic episode where he locked both, both the regular you and the spare keys in the car. <laughs> Time. Um, so when that happened, did you blame you or did you did you more like blame the world or God? Like like where did you project the blame? After that the- is a great question. That is I think I blame myself in that spot because I, I knew I did it and I knew what I did to do it because I was distracted when I parked the car. I set the keys down, I was checking something on my phone. And then I got out, shut the door, and I knew instantly I did it. So I was just blaming myself, but I was I was quite frustrated. But but you see that that's huge because that's like you're you took accountability for it, which is different from saying, "Here's just another example that the world is against me, is conspiring against me, God hates me, or whatever." And and it it it's not reflective of a like general worldview pessimism you maybe, maybe so but that's not to say i was a nice person when it happened <laughs> hey Elgin, you, you bring up an important point though do you think um accountability has to do has a lot to do with whether you're an optimist or pessimist um you take accountability for your life and stuff that happens to you let me think about that let me think about that um yes i think i think they're related i don't think there's a direct correlation but i think they are related um because I think that when you do realize the role that you play in your life, that you're not a victim of life, that life is not happening to you, but life is happening for you or in some cases through you, um, that, that you tend, I think that you tend to have a better outlook, a more optimistic outlook because you realize that no matter what comes up in your life, you have the choice to, to really determine how you're going to show up in it, how this is going to um, continue to support and affirm your faith and belief. You know, I say every Sunday when things happen in your life, it's an opportunity for God to show up. Oh, guess what? That's you. That's, that's how God is showing up in the situation through you. Now I, I really like that. And I like the positivity in the, Hey, I'm, I'm in present in this moment and how I act is up to me. But is there a certain level of, uh, privilege to being able to think that way. Like if you're living in a war zone and someone says, well, you just need to take accountability for your actions or you just need to be more positive. Like, can you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like things have to be a certain way to, to, but but let let me, let me take this one here because do you remember, um, Ogan, when we interviewed, um, Timber Hawkeye and Tim, Timber grew up in, in that exact situation, Brian, he grew up in that. And, and, you know, he said, you know, they have this saying that, you know, if the bus, if you're waiting for a bus and the bus blows up, you wait for the next bus. Like that, even in a war zone, you can live in the moment and have the attitude of living in the moment, surrounded by all this hate and anger. And I, I can't say I can do it. I, you know, I get yeah, sucked I into it. But I, say, I think that takes an exceptional level of uh, consciousness to be able to do that. Um, and I think if you have a name like Timber Hawkeye, is there such a thing as a bad day? <laughs> totally Good agree call. with you. Oh, by by the way, I should mention I should mention that if anyone um, 
tries to search our archives for that interview, you're not going to find it. It wasn't on Pub Theology. This is when Tina and I oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, did my last podcast, uh, Rants to Revelations. I think I'm like on my third or fourth podcast now. Um, so so uh, if you go to rantstorevs.com, R-A-N-T-S-T-O-R-E-V-S, I think that's the website. Um, it was like the first or second episode. Right, yeah, I got. We interviewed him. He's the guy who wrote a book called Buddhist Boot Camp, and it's a it's a whole oh, spiritual yeah. movement that he's doing. Um, phenomenal. Let's, let's have him on Pub Theology Live. Yeah, sure. I would love to. His his most recent was called Faithfully Religion Religionless, which yeah, I love. Very, very, <laughs> nice, nice, exactly. And the and the best, the most probably well known example of that is is Viktor Frankl, you know, who who made there it. There you go. The Holocaust. Um, because of basically his mental attitude about what was going on. And he said, I could, I, I could look at the faces of people and I knew who would not, um, you know, all conditions being equal at the time and where they were, who weren't yeah, going to yeah. survive based on the, attitude. The, the mental attitude that they took to what was, towards what was going on. But I'm, I'm also with what Brian says. It does take an exceptional person to not look at the outward circumstances and believe the outward circumstances to be so truthful and so real that they see themselves as life happening to me. It takes a very strong person to say, regardless of what's going on outside and around me, life is happening for me to mm-hmm. self-actualize, so, you know, throwing some Maslow in there to self-actualize um, mm-hmm. and, and, and draw out the divine in me. Um, so, so, yeah, it's not easy. So, but- so do you think as a species we're on the right track and do you, are you optimistic about the future of humanity and do you think we will have a planet that can support us for the foreseeable future? As a species, we're doomed. Let's just call it. Yeah, Brian, I have, you know, I'm the opposite of you because my life, I'm like, yeah, my life's awesome. I can, you know, I know how to manifest stuff. I'm going to have an awesome life. As a species, I'm like, we are so screwed. No. (laughs) We're going to like implode. I don't think we're going to destroy the earth. I think we'll destroy ourselves. I I, I was kidding. I was, I was disagreeing. I think what we are seeing now, what we are seeing now is, is, uh, the last, the last gas, the last final desperate gas of of people who don't want to evolve in consciousness. But it's coming. It's going to happen. We don't have a choice. When you look through, when you look through the history of humanity, there has always been group group evolution of consciousness. It takes a while. There are always people who object. When you look at the Enlightenment period when all of a sudden we as a species decided you know what people have intrinsic value because they're human you know the age of enlightenment you know sure so many people objected to that because it meant the end of a lot of things it meant the the end of caste systems the end of class warfare and not the end but them not becoming the norm them not being accepted and yes there's still that there's still slavery there's still a lot of inhumane things happening but when you look big picture at the world those things are in the minority and those things are being rooted out. So I I want to go ahead. I'd say I want to believe it, but then I, you know, I look at what we spend on weapons and military hardware, not just us, but around the world. And I feel a little less happy about everything. Gotta look big picture. If you look at the micro now, it looks bleak. (laughs) And and Brian, I really do think the energy gets faster and stronger and it gets a lot worse before it gets better. 
Do you? You think there's more of the mm, exactly. more oh, of yeah. the negative to come? I kind of yeah. wrote a um, fantasy fiction book about it, just so you know. <laughs> so are those the so will wait, those wait, be the, the birth when's pangs? That getting published again? What'd you say? And when's that getting published again? It should be December. Yay! I have a timeline now. Sorry. Go ahead, Brian. So when it gets worse before it gets better, are those the the birth pangs of something new coming to birth, or are they the death pangs that we may not survive? Is that the same thing? (laughs) He's right. He is a pessimist. (laughs) Oh, you guys are the ones saying we're screwed. (laughs) Come on. Brian, isn't it the same thing? Something has to die for something else to be reborn. Yep. Yep, Take life, that and chew life on comes it. out of death. You know, there we go. All right, so in, in our last segment here, there is an approach in Buddhism called non-action. And as we alluded to earlier, Thich Nhat Hanh explains it by saying, sometimes if we don't do anything, we help more than if we do a lot. And so the question is, how have you seen this or experienced it? And do you ever practice this? I think it's a I think it's a, a call for the more contemplative approach of things um, to be more mindful to be more inwardly tuned to realize that we don't have to react when you know things come up when someone says something that we don't ag- agree with when you know it, it's okay to turn in it's okay to pause it's okay to take the breath it's okay to be silent you know it's okay to not spout whatever. Um, I think there's a call for that. But I also think that there comes a point where we just can't remain in non-action. That's what because I think. you don't trust the universe to take care of it? Um, no, because I think nothing, nothing will change unless there is action. Mm. So, wow. Isn't so the law can, of can, manifestation just believing it, though? Well, you still have to you still and have can to non-action be a form of action? Yes, it can. Yeah, yes, non-action can be a form of action. You know? So get off the back of the people not voting. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes well, if we don't do anything, we can help more than if we do a lot. I'm just, just saying. You know, does that work as a parenting technique? You know, and uh, yes. kids are acting up. Very you say, you so. know, could you just a little more non-action? No, I, I think it does, Brian, because you're, you, it, like, there's so many helicopter parents right now that if you just back off a little bit and let your kids learn on their own. Uh-huh. Yeah. Don't get sucked into the I think there's a lot to that. Don't get sucked into the, to the kids' drama. Like, just, mm-hmm. just be clear the roles of the boundaries. I'm, I'm the parent. You're the child. You want to throw on the, you know, roll on the floor and throw a tantrum and argue and call me names and do all of that. Have at it. But I'm not. I'm not going to trade barbs with you. I'm not getting sucked in to what you're doing because ultimately I clothe you, I feed you, and I give you money. I got the leverage. I got the power. Did you have a rough week, Ogan? A little bit. <laughs> Enjoy, have a little. <laughs> today, I got the power. <laughs> today, today was a little rough catching up from all the days off. Uh, no, no, but this is this has been this has kind of been my my parenting style. I, I remember when. Uh, and, and part of this also might be a mother-daughter thing, but I remember when 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 Joy started becoming a teenager, she and Jennifer used to butt heads all the time. And they were always arguing and going back and forth and trading. And 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 I, I said to Jennifer, first of all, pace yourself because we got this kid till she's 18. <laughs> right now she's 12, going 13, and you are expending a lot of energy. 
space. You got to think the long game. And yeah. honestly, it's like, don't, don't, don't get into a power struggle. You know, realize that you do have the leverage. Teach her the, teach her the lesson about actions and consequences. Like, you know, she loves to do things like go bowling with her friends. Well, you know what? I'd like you to clean the room or do the chores. And as a reward, you're going to go bowling with your friends. No cleaning, no bowling. And that's the end of the story. So you decide what's more important for you, you know, and that's kind of the way life works. We got to make choices and there's going to be actions and consequences that follow those. So, yeah. Yeah, Brian, is there... Oh, go go ahead. ahead. I was just going to ask if you had a situation where um, inaction seemed to be the better option for you. Um, well, I, I think, uh, you know, Ogan was saying, you know, sometimes it's okay to just breathe or it's okay to just be still or be contemplative and, and not act. And I think, uh, I think not, not only is it okay, but maybe that's a prerequisite, should be a prerequisite to all action. And I think there was a time where I felt like, and I think social media can play into this where, you know, I'm, I'm learning something new or I feel passionate about something. And so I instantly, you know, sh- post it or share it or, or go, you know, write a blog post about it or whatever. And, and I think for a while I was very reactive and I think I'm, I'm trying to be more thoughtful about that and not, not react as quickly. And so a little bit of non-action, and also realizing I'm not the one to solve the world's problem on each one of these issues. Like, sure, I may have a role to speak truth or to point people a new direction, but I feel like I feel less pressure to like, you know, the world will keep revolving if I just don't act on this particular thing at this moment. And I think that's been a healthy thing for me. Uh, But it's, you know, it's finding that balance because as Ogan said, uh, I don't think we're called to totally, um, disengage either, you know, unless you're feeling a unique call to the monastic life or something like that, or you want to be a hermit. That's certainly, you know, it's tempting sometimes. Tempting, um, but, I, but, I, and, but I would say far from tempting. It is necessary sometimes to withdraw. I mean, we've got first self care and withdraw to get clear. I mean, Jesus started. Jesus got baptized, and the very next thing he did in his ministry was what disappear. For like yes. forty days in, in in the desert, he started he started his his ministry with a contemplative retreat. You yeah. know, a friend of mine is just starting a four day bicycling trip in the Netherlands, and he's like, "I'm not going to be doing any online stuff, any social media. It's just going to be solitude and bicycling in the Netherlands." Of course, we all yeah. kind of wanted we all kind of want to do that, but. Well, and we should. Why not? We plan for it, you know. And 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 we again think think long term. Think like in in you know as, as ministers. Uh, I don't know how it works with other ministers in other denominations, but like like in unity, one of the standard practices is you know when a minister creates a contract with the church, you know anywhere from five to seven years in is in the contract is a built in sabbatical, sabbatical yeah. for any number yeah. of, of of months because un, until there's the withdrawal time is so important and you do it on a daily basis. So like uh, last week I was at the unity Eastern region conference and the, one of the keynotes was uh, Dr. Mark Waldman, who uh, is a researcher that did some um, amazing research on how uh, spirituality belief and things like meditation affect 
the actual physiology of your brain. Uh, he wrote right. uh, uh, Your Brain on God, and um, his latest book has something to do with enlightenment and the brain. Um, but, but, but one of the things he says is, you know, take meditation or prayer. Um, we we want to set aside chunks of time for it, you know, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, and we can't do it. And then we get frustrated and so on. He says it actually works better for your brain if every hour you stopped for a minute, mm. but just a minute, every hour, and got silent. And we're conscious in I that like moment. That. Exactly. You know, and and so you're you're taking many retreats, many withdrawals from whatever is going on. It's and when I read Tiknat Han's quote, that's what I hear that those periods of non-action help recenter you, help get you grounded, helps you uh, resist the urge to just react from the initial, you know, emotional place that you might have been in. Love it. Any, uh, any final words of wisdom, friends? We've kind of... Uh, Drinking game! No. Our hour has <laughs> snuck up on us. That was a good one. No, I like ending with that. That was, that think- was very good. I think I think we should have. Um, uh, I made fun about the drinking game. I think if we, I think we could solve a lot of conflicts if we had drinking games for the conflicts, because by the end of it, everybody's gonna be either numbed out or or a lot happier at the end, and there'd be a lot less conflict. Unless you're one of these people who is like an angry. You know, That's right. More, more. But I don't even think it has to be a drinking game, but just to lighten up and enjoy each other and have fun. Absolutely. And a a brief disclaimer, you know, pub theology of course does not endorse overindulging and always endorses having a designated (laughs) driver. So I just want (laughs) to sneak that in there. That's why we love you, Brian. As we're we're emptying our glasses and cans and bottles. Yeah. As we're taking our final, final drafts here. Well, thanks for tuning in friends to pub theology live. Please connect and spread the word on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those fun places. And you can listen anytime. Isn't that great? As our friend Mark said, feel, feeling stressed out by the election, just queue up some Pub Theology Live. When he goes into, when he goes into promoter mode, it is hilarious. Just, just <laughs> so tune cool. in. I mean, just get your, get your phone out and you can listen to Ogan, Ogan's soothing tones on your way to work. I mean, what could be more stress-free? So you can do that on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. If you want to find a conversation like this near you, go to pubtheology.com and find the official directory. And thanks again to our official sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. Visit craftbeercellar.com. That's C-E-L-L-A-R.com for a location near you. And we are out. So neither of y'all watched the debate on Monday night? No, I watched Game of Thrones. Whoa, what? That's speaking of... That's not back yet. Oh, you weren't quality? They they know better than to try to premiere Game of Thrones in the midst of an election, although I think it would help. In the midst of our show. And our show. I think it would help calm I would. I would watch Game of Thrones before I'd watch an election. 
Yeah, most Even if it was the election night, I would still do it. I, I did not watch the debate. I did watch the first one, but did not watch this most recent one. And then last week, actually, our show with uh, Jack, Tina, and I was during the vice the B, the VP debate. Yeah, I did. I did notice that. <laughs> so we know who our true fans are. Well, there, there, yeah. there you go.